It's another week here, and it's another edition of the Chair Shop Podcast back on Sunday evening. It is after a very weird and wild week. It is, I, w- I would describe it as balmy. It is a balmy uh, Sunday's evening as I look out here. Sky is fairly clear, a bit of a wind breeze out there. You know, it's, it's looking all right. And we come to you here on this, in Ireland anyway, August bank holiday weekend. Um, with uh, your regularly scheduled CSP. I'm one of your hosts, Barry Murphy. Join as always by my co-host, first of all, Joe Towner. Hello, Barry. And also, Mr. Paul Griffin. What you trying to get into today, Back here with a uh, uh, another edition of the show, lads. Much to chat about. We've all got busy lives and all that. Um, what have you lads been up to? I haven't done much. I was sick Thursday and Friday, so two days off work, which, you know, uh, I mean, it's nice when you get the days off, but obviously being sick is not good. And I'll just have to catch up next week. What was up with you? I don't know. I had like a head thing. It was all blocked up, a bit of a runny nose, and then a bit of the sore, sore throaty sort of thing. But obviously, the problem is nowadays when you get sick, you immediately go, mm, probably the COVID, probably die. Yeah, so, yeah. So not only do you have a runny nose and don't feel good, you also have panic attack about whether you have to go and get tested. But no, I didn't. I didn't have any like fever or anything, so I was pretty sure it wasn't anything serious. But yeah, that was about me this week, and then uh, yeah, I just been out in the garden today. It's been quite a nice day. A bit cloudy, but quite warm. Bit of the old lawn mowing, went for a nice walk. Peace, peaceful week. Alrighty. Uh, what about you, uh, Paul? I believe you ventured into the big smoke this week. How did that go? Yeah, it went pretty good. Um, it was the girlfriend's sister's birthday. Uh, the sister-in-law, in a sense, I guess you could say. Um, so we went out to the parents' house where there was kind of a gathering of people. A couple more than I would care for, to be honest. But oh. no, hey, 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 I'm not in charge of things. What, you, specific people or just the general num- overall number? Uh, no. Um, it, it, I, no, it, there was, it, no, one, there was it, no one specifically there that I was like, oh, you ain't died of the COVID yet? Oh, fuck's sake. Um, no, it was just a little... A little too many people there. I was like, hmm, this is a bit weird to be doing this right now. But look, it was good. I enjoyed myself. The people that were there, I was happy to see because I haven't seen in a very long time. Everyone was doing okay. Uh, there was no visible sick people there. Um, there wasn't so much in the way of like hugging and kissing people as you arrive, but it was okay. Um, any notable things happen? I tell you what, one thing that happened. Uh, had my first little Burger King. Ah, ooh. Uh, I did venture so far as to try. Now I realize I'm on the old diet, so don't you know be judging me for this because I've been real good otherwise. Yeah. Uh, Le Whopper Treble. Excuse me. I have never braved one of those because it it just looks like too much meat. <laughs> well, that's what I say when I look down my drawers, Barry. So oh, I'm not afraid of such oh. a challenge. Um, yeah, I had a triple, a triple whopper. Now, to be fair, right? 
I knew I was going to be having Burger King that evening. So I had pretty much starved myself from like noon until I guess maybe six that evening, half six that evening. So my belly was ready for it. You know, my belly was like, I've not had the uh, the starter. I've not had the filled up on bread. Mm. I went straight in triple whopper. Uh, I did need to lie down after it was a hefty, uh, a hefty burger. Uh, to be honest, I'm not sure. And, and it's something that kind of occurs to me now that I'm kind of watching the figure a bit more closely. Yeah. Right? <laughs> after, after I ate it and I had that big fat feeling that you have after a big meal where you're sitting there, sure. zipper of your jeans down to let the proper you know belly hang out. Yeah. I was like, you know what? In, retro- in retrospect, I don't know that if I had just had a normal Whopper or like even a double Whopper that I would feel much like, I don't know that 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 extra Whopper has given me any more happiness or satisfaction. Um, I I mean, I, I enjoyed the excess of having it, but I don't think I'll have a repeat. I don't think I'll ever go back and go for the triple again. Yeah. That kind of feels like, like the triple, even though it's a regular thing they serve all the time, the triple kind of looks like it's bordering on a novelty food, doesn't it? Yeah. It was enormous. Don't get me wrong. Because like yeah. Burger King, a big a big Burger King burger, even without the extra patty. I mean, they're big. They are big burgers, you know. And I find the double whopper a struggle. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I probably just go back to the normal, uh, Woo pair. Um, for for future reference. But it was very very nice, and the party was very very nice. Uh, and then we headed back, and we've been home since. Nothing much has happened. We're watching a new dog just for the weekend. A big fat lab, which is fun. Big fat lab. Big fat lab in the house. Uh, called Freddy. We're Freddy. watching him. He's very, very nice. What color? Uh, is he golden? Oh, he's a choc- a chocolate lab. Chocolate Labrador. Mmm, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's what we've been up to. Alrighty, uh, myself this week I have uh, I've uh, mostly finished the pre-discussed move from last week. Uh, new apartment, me and the girlfriend. Um, oh, yeah, it, it, it's on uh, Twitter, Barry. It's a bit swanky for you, isn't it? It's it is a bit. I mean, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the for for, for the the bailiffs to come and say, "Not you, lad." We've we've reconsidered. Um, I haven't seen this yet. I want to have a look. Um, it's quite nice. I'm, I, I mean, we really loved it when we viewed it. We were thrilled when we found out we got it. Um, and then as we've been moving in this week, it's really kind of hit home that like this is a this is a lovely place to uh, to live. It's only as I said, it's it's within a five minute walk from where I used to live. So it's actually it's not been a very dramatic move for me in terms of like going from one place to the other. But I'm that bit closer to the river. I.e., I am now basically on the river um then it makes a whole lot of difference because it's a bigger apartment in general but it's got way more natural light tons and tons and tons of natural light which my last place which i you know i love my time there it was great but it was uh it was 100 percent uh light bulb lit basically the hallways and the bathroom and kind of my bedroom as well i had a tiny little window it was very much uh no natural light no view so that's been a huge upgrade now but yeah i'm loving it uh moving sucks of course um 
it's it's quite painful. Uh, when I moved into my last place, my, my then roommate, he already lived there, so there wasn't that much of a palaver, but now me and the girlfriend were coming in new to this. Both of us are new to this place, so we're both having to move all our stuff in. Everything is not everything's not quite in a heap, but there's still there are still some heaps. Um, I am currently uh, uh, recording this in the spare room, which is to become the office. Um, I will probably not actually be working from this quote-unquote office because it's now the uh, Minecraft cardboard box kingdom. Um, I've sort of squeezed my way in here so that I can do this show, but I won't be. I don't think I'll be working from here uh, next week because it's still. It, this is where we've thrown all the shite. Um, uh, uh, until it gets sorted, but um, but yeah, no, it's great. It's exciting. It's it's great. I've got the internet set up, which was kind of the main thing because you know that's your telly and that's your work from home and that's your everything else. That's your podcasting, of course. You know, um, uh, so so that was grand. Um, and yeah, and it is. It's 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 a bit it's a bit swanky for me. I'll be honest. I I do feel a bit out of place here, but it's my home now. Um. So um, I will say the fellow who obviously lived here before. This is the first. This is the first flat I've ever viewed um, or heard of where where the previous owner just left his telly, a big fucking sexy, uh, like forty. I would say roughly forty inch smart TV. Um, uh, and I and I and I came in and I saw the TV in the corner. I I wasn't even asking about it when he did the viewing. I was like, oh, is the I assume it's fully furnished, like all the the couch and all that stuff. He's like, oh yeah yeah, everything, literally everything you see here will be here when you move in. And I was like, and <laughs> girlfriend just kind of kept asking questions. And then towards the end, I was just like, uh, did you say everything? I, the, telly was, the, the telly will still be here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <gasps> really? So so um, I started Ghost of Tsushima there today, which I'll talk about later. And oh boy, on the big telly, that is a uh, that is a, a, a nice game to play. And your man even left a sound bar here, like a, a massive Philips speaker oh. under the telly. I don't know, because we were trying to, we were speculating. We are like, this can't have been... Uh, like a tenant or something. Someone, someone must have like owned this and lived here for quite a while and then moved out. I don't think you would, you know, if you were a renter, you'd leave half your shit here. But um, yeah, so it's been it's been great. Um, and yeah, as I as I do this podcast, I'm looking at the the behind my PC is is the river. So I am looking out onto the world. As I I feel like I'm very important. I feel like I'm reading the news. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's. The, a similar thing happened to me when I was living in uh, Reims, in the northeast of France. Um, <laughs> it, it's very common in France that when you rent an apartment, it, it will come completely unfurnished. That's more the norm. The norm. So when I moved in, um, I had to, you know, make make the trip to IKEA, get the few bits and bobs. Um, but I needed all the equipment right up until I left the apartment. Which was more or less the exact same day I was leaving the country. Yeah. You know? So I did kind of the same thing. I, I said to the, the owner, look, I I have no time or money to get rid of all this stuff. I can't hire a skip or whatever they do in France. I was like, just keep it all. You can advertise. to n- Just take it for free. Yeah. I don't even expect it. Just have it. You can advertise next as a like furnished apartment. You probably get more money for it. I don't know, but like I can't do it. Like not even good furniture, but just furniture I couldn't do anything with. I was like, just have a bed, table, whatever. Um, how oh, curious, Barry, in terms of the the rent prices in um, in Limerick compared to this side of the country? Are you guys similarly affected by 
massively inflated prices. Yes, yeah. Without asking, like, what you're paying. No, uh, no. I mean, I, I'm paying slightly more now than, than we were uh, in my previous place. Um, it has it has been going in the direction. It's been it's been uh, more under control than in in like say Dublin. Like a lot of my you know a lot of my uh, friends who I I you know meet up with at OTT and stuff like that. A lot of them either either still live at home or they're paying extortionate prices to live with with great numbers of other people. Um, when they've come down and visited, they've been somewhat shocked by you know I, my last place I was paying a decent whack of rent, but it was a it was a decent amount less than what you got get in Dublin for a city center um, apartment. Um, right. I feel like I feel like the 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 COVID has kind of affected everything differently in uh, across the country. Down here, it really seems to have brought the the, the spiraling rent prices to kind of slow them down a little bit. Um, like when we went looking for this place, I've never seen so many options, like so many places up for rent, um, uh, and the prices are. Still higher. Is it a good bit higher than they would have been a couple of years ago? But I feel like the the climbing has stopped somewhat, um, uh, which is good. So um, yeah, you know, uh, paying a bit more than I was previously, but not not any kind of insane jump. Uh, right. But we'll see where we are in a year when it comes time to uh, uh, renew. Because I remember the apartment that you guys visited us in, which we don't live anymore. Unfortunately, yeah. I, I really love that apartment. But as soon as we we were there for two years, and as soon as we left, they hiked the rent up by two hundred euro. Oh Jesus! Um, so that's the kind of stuff you're dealing, with. and it was expensive in the first place. Yeah. So I don't know. I think there's a family living there now. Well, yeah. Anyway. That's uh, that's property guff, um, <laughs> and uh, we'll report back uh, in in due course. Um, I think that's going to do it for the uh, the life guff there this week. We can we can jump straight in to our um, telly guff. I haven't been, I haven't really got much new to say. A lot of stuff I mentioned last week. Nathan, for you, still persisting on that with the misses. And um, my my background noise of choice is, is Seinfeld and Arrested Development. Um, I realize I haven't seen most of Seinfeld before. I've seen bits and pieces of it, obviously. It's, it was on telly uh, fucking all the time growing up. But, um, uh, you know, it's on Prime, so I stick it on every now and then. And uh, Arrested Development, great as well. The only new thing I've watched is I watched the first episode of Dark which is the uh, German language Netflix drama. Uh, the, you know, the, the, sort of like, it's kind of like a third tier Netflix original that's like, you know, has its fans, but it's not, it's not Stranger Things or anything. Um, it's good. First episode was, uh, was intriguing. It's a, it is definitely some variety of a supernatural gritty thriller. Um, I'll reserve judgment until I get a bit more, but first episode was, was a solid uh, taster, but that, that's all I've been watching this week. Sounds interesting. I was kind of meant to check that out before, but, uh, you know, a lot of effort, to be honest. So, mm. and, and I, it is, it is default German language um, with English subs. I'm watching the dubbed version because I'm lazy. Um, every, and every time I do this, I'm like, Ugh. like the, the acting is just notice, notably worse, especially in scenes yeah. that involve not even necessarily worse. It's just anything that involves the person being physical. Like there's a scene in the first episode where this old hotel owner, she has like quite an angry phone call. And she's basically having like a fit screaming at the person. And it's like, because the person doing the dub is just in a studio reading the lines angrily, you're not getting the, the sort of exhaustion and the sounds of, of movement and exertion that you get in actual acting physically. 
Um, so there's little jarring things like that. But but other than that, it's all right. Maybe maybe I'll switch. Maybe I'll stop being lazy and switch to subs at some point. Yeah, problem is then you can't look at your phone um, while watching. And why bother then at that point? Like, you know. Yeah, if I can't play a game on my phone and look at my laptop, mm-hmm. it's no good to me. Um, yeah, I've um, watched a couple of things this week. So I watched um, a show that was on BBC called Noughts and Crosses, which is a kind of dystopian alternative future where um, Africa kind of colonised Europe rather than the other way around. So um, the, the sort of dominant the race in the society are, are all sort of black people, and the white people are all sort of subjugated and victims of racism. A bit like now, am I right, people? No, I'm kidding. Um, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting interesting show. I really kind of like that sort of um, dystopia thing. And it's set, it's set in the UK, it's set in London, but London is kind of like an overseas uh, you know, colony of a, an African country. Um, so it's quite interesting to see the sort of role reversal, and it's... it's um, kind of interesting show it's they have a kind of star-crossed lovers thing with you know the the daughter of a prominent politician is dating this kind of poor uh, white kid whose family are involved in a kind of uh, revolutionary sort of white group that's trying to overthrow the the establishment um it was pretty decent to be honest the acting kind of left something to be desired there was not really anyone in it Mm. that i would call uh, (laughs) sort of a top tier actor that i think uh, Johnson from Peep Show um, plays the mate, the politician, and he's probably the best actor in it. Mm. Um, not that he's a bad actor, but you know he's not exactly um, Idris Elba. Um, so that was good, and it, and it gets pretty cliche towards the end. I haven't like read the books; I don't know how they play out. But this kind of went down quite a sort of expected path. So I wouldn't I wouldn't go out of my way to recommend that. But it was it was interesting, and if you like your yeah, alternative history or your dystopia kind of film tv then maybe worth checking out um the other thing that we just watched was called united skates so it's a documentary on a on iplayer all about uh, roller skating rinks in the u.s uh what i didn't realize was you know if you told me about roller roller skating derbies and things like that i'd tend to think of Meltzer because I know he was a big like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. fan and it, and it used to be on TV in the 70s and 80s or whatever so that's kind of what I associate with but this is actually all about how uh, about the popularity of these roller rinks within the black community in America which I had absolutely no awareness of whatsoever no it's actually huge among um, among the kind of black different black communities across you know from LA to Chicago to the south lots of different places um, and what has tended to happen is there was, lot, you know, going way back, there was a lot of segregation in these places and, um, you know, black people wouldn't have access to the rinks. And so they would have special nights where it tended to just be the kind of black people who would come along and skate and, and you know, have have their own kind of culture and, and conclusions. Uh, and what's happened over time is a lot of those kind of roller skating's become less popular and they've been owned by kind of, yeah, primarily by white owners rather than within the black community they've kind of disappeared gradually and it's become harder and harder to find so it was it was a fascinating documentary when we put it on i wasn't expecting i thought it was just going to be a kind of light-hearted romp about sort of people from the 70s that are still roller skating and despite the fact that it's not popular anymore but it was actually um very interesting revealing documentary so that's um united skates which is uh, available on 
BBC iPlayer. So Sounds good. I would definitely recommend that. And uh, yeah, that's what I've been watching this week. How about you, Paul? Uh, I've pretty much not watched any TV. Uh, I watched the new um, Canada's Drag Race, uh, as you might expect. But um, in terms of actual television, nada. Okay. I watched some Simpsons, but I, you know, yeah. who doesn't watch some Simpsons of a week? Of course, of course. Um, lovely stuff. We'll, we'll uh, jump on there uh, in the list. Um, I listened to, to uh, some new new music uh, this week. I listened to that Phoebe Bridgers album, um, uh, who is not the woman who wrote Fleabag, I, I learned eventually. Um, uh, yeah, I don't have much to say. I'd never heard of her before this album came out, which shows how tuned into the music I am. Uh, and it's really good. I can't remember the name of it, but you put her name into the internet, you'll get the most recent release up, I'm fairly sure. Um, and it's, it's a really good kind of, um, you know, kind of somber kind of indie uh, sound. So uh, thumbs up on that one. But uh, not much else to say. We jump into the uh, video game golf. Is it time for the weekly uh, Last of Us catch up, uh, Paul? Yes. Uh, so let me tell you. I've been playing a lot. I'm about um, I'm about fourteen hours in now. Jesus! So you know, making my way. Um, I feel like we're we're kind of getting to the stage where you know the game's been out a while. Mm. Without spoiling anything necessarily, we can maybe start to talk a little bit more about kind of what the game is and where I am in it. I think so. Yeah. If people if people don't want to hear at all. Like if, like me, you are a little bit apprehensive about it, and something you might play down the road. I don't know how you haven't heard something about the game at this stage. Like even I have some idea of what the game was going to be. You yeah. Know, by the time I got yeah. But um, I'll say that I'm in. Uh, I'm. I'm still in Seattle day one. Wink, wink. If right. I get you. I get you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Um. So early on in the game you have some experience of kind of swapping back and forth between playing as Ellie and playing as a new character called Abby. And um, the game leaves you as Ellie then for quite a long stretch. And then it gives you a chance to go back and play as Abby again. Um, so that's where I am now. I'm playing um, through the the three-day Seattle cycle as Abby now. And uh, yeah, I have... I. I, I, I'm still thoroughly enjoying the game. I think I'm really kind of getting into a stride where I can sit down and play for a few hours mm. uh, here and there. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of building some momentum as I play it. I, I, I There's some stuff it does that I really like, but I'm finding also there's some stuff that it does, some choices it makes that I'm not super hot on just as a you know a personal choice or a personal opinion. Sure. Um, definitely finding already, as I you know, past the halfway mark mm. that uh, that definitely I feel like it could be shorter. There's there's a lot of the game that feels repetitive to me. Uh, as I mentioned last week, especially when you're on your own and you're just doing those clear out the enemy area, walk through an empty building, collect some resources. Right. Oh, you're in another grassy area with enemies, clear them out, another empty building. And it just feels like you're, you're doing the same thing again and again. It's mm. not a particularly... Um, interesting game loop um what makes those sections better and in a sense what makes them work is when you're with another character and you're finding out things about the characters you're having these little character moments 
with the dialogue between the characters. That that's what makes those sections work. When you're on your own, they become a bit boring, as I said, as I said, a bit repetitive. Um, I know the internet has been awash with commentary, and I must say, it occurred to me that um, that Abby is extremely muscly, mm. and no one else in the world is, which kind of makes it stand out to me a, a bit. Well, Joan is. Um, Joan, I don't know if I've met Joan in the game. Yet. No, uh, the the guy from the first game, Joel. Oh, Joel. Sorry, yeah. is he? I don't know because Joel's always got a shirt on. I can't tell if he's. Yeah, like, like, so there's one of the one of those flashbacks in, in this game. He's, okay. he's 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 a uh, oh. There's one where he's just wearing a shirt. And he's not wearing anything. And he's he's got he's got a he's got a video game protagonist physique. He's got big old arms. He got a he got a bod to die for, does he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, mm. Yeah, I just find it weird. Like, I, I don't know if she, obviously, you know, her character motivation is that she's like relentlessly driven by revenge, basically. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I guess if if she was part, like, obviously, her group is a bit more like militant than the Jackson group. Without getting too much into later bits of the game, yeah. Um, but it seems like everyone else in her group is just. I hesitate to use the word normal, but yeah, not not like her. And there's one throwaway comment she makes in the... There's like an aquarium flashback with Owen where she says, um, oh, I benched 185 the other day or something like that. But apart from that, it's kind of not not alluded to why she, she's gone that way. Like even in her cuts or her flashbacks with like her father and so on, um, it's never something that's really hinted at, which I don't mind, to be honest. Um you know, I do prefer the the show. Don't tell, mm-hmm. but maybe there's something to come. I don't know, but it just it's it's an odd choice because I ne- I never feel playing as her like I'm necessarily any more or less powerful than Ellie was, right? In terms of playing and killing enemies and so on. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. It's it's just it's a an interesting direction they went with. Um, that I, I I don't know. It, it, she she almost feels like she's she you know she stands out more than any other character in the game because of a an unusual design. Like I I hesitate to to say unusual because one thing I don't like in games and movies, especially with antagonists, is where like the the antagonist will be given a weird um a weird look, whether it's like uh, a deformity or a scar yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. I find it kind of lazy, you know. Oh, how do you tell that this person's the antagonist? Oh, because they, they look different than everyone else. Mm. And it seemed early on that that, that was a, a hang up I was going to have about Abby. Is like, how do you know that Abby is the antagonist? Well, she looks different than everyone else, you know. Obviously, that's not necessarily the direction the game goes in, or at least up to the point I am, it's not necessarily the direction the game goes in, but it's something that I thought was interesting anyway. Um, what else do I have to say about it? Um, I like that you're, you're, you're in Seattle day one again, wink, wink. So, so what did you make of the the flashback stuff at the beginning of the Abbey segment that kind of tied the stories together? Yeah, I I, I like it a lot. Mm. I like um, I like a lot. I think it made some things that happened early on almost not work in a way. Mm. Like it 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 early on it it. It paints her as the antagonist in a very, very clear and very violent way. Yeah. 
Um, and then later on, it, it kind of justifies it and asks you as the the player to feel empathy and sympathy for this character. And y- and I do, because the direction that events take you in, you, you realize essentially that her and Ellie are, are the two sides of the same coin. Mm. However, the way she enacts her retribution still to me seemed overly violent and overly yeah. played out for me to feel suddenly empathy for the character. I, I kind of feel like, yes, but that was still done in such an over-the-top way yeah. that I, I, I kind of can't buy into it. So I don't know. Again, I, I, I'm still in the midst of the game and still getting to know this character, but it seems like they they overplayed the first part to make you feel a certain way that they then ask you to feel a certain different way later on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I get, I get what you're doing. I understand. But that was like too much almost, you know? Um, But I, as I said, I'm still in the midst of playing it. I'm still enjoying it a lot. I wish there was a little bit less of those parts. I I feel like the game already in the 14 hours that I'm at could be an hour shorter. (laughs) You know, there's an hour gameplay in there that I didn't really enjoy. Um, but overall, I, I, I'm I'm enjoying it. I, I'm enjoying the difference in playing as Ellie to, um, or excuse me, playing as Abby to Ellie and like the the different crafting and different weapons that she employs. Yeah, I'm I'm you've now overtaken me uh, and replaying Ellie's uh, section. I'm it like it's all kind of crucial stuff that you have to do and it it makes the story work but I'm I'm kind of replaying it going yeah, like the story really doesn't get going until you get to Abby um uh that was my like like uh, again when when you finish uh, at Abby's 3 days it'll it'll you know the Ellie ones are needed to contextualize a lot of it, but I still feel like it doesn't really get going until you get to where you are now. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm fascinated to see where, where you end up kind of at the conclusion of those three days because um, they are they are excellent. I mean, they are, you know, I think I might have said this to you before, or maybe not actually because the last time we spoke you hadn't gotten to, to Abby, but if you if you view them as two separate campaigns, like essentially, because they kind of are, they're two like Naughty Dog length games stuck together. Um, right. Like Abby's section, I've, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people say that is like the best Naughty Dog campaign that they have done. Um, right. Like it's it's great. Like because the Ellie stuff. I mean, the, the, again, replaying it at the moment. I, you know, the Ellie section is kind of like if you closed your eyes and pictured what would Last of Us Two look like. If you told yourself that seven years ago, you probably would have pictured this. Okay, you're Ellie. You're going through an overgrown city environment. You're taking out dudes with stealth. There's an infected set piece every now and then, and it looks amazing, and the animation's great, and all this other stuff. But it's it's kind of it's it's it, it's the formula, right? It's the it's the it's not. It doesn't really catch you off guard at any point. I didn't feel Ellie's um, Ellie's section in Seattle. Um, whereas there's uh, there's stuff in Abby's. I, I will absolutely not say anything beyond that. Um, so uh, I'm I'm curious to see where you end up um, uh, on it. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that is an intriguing game. Um. So beyond that, I've been playing some games. Uh, Apex Construct. I was just testing out VR in the new, the new Homestead. It's pretty good. Uh, I mentioned that I talked about that game before, so I won't go into that too much. Uh, I started Carrion on um, 
uh, Xbox Game Pass. Uh, so that's nice. Always nice to have a, a new release uh, included on a service like that. Uh, Carrion's awesome. I, I, I want to try and finish before the show next week. It's only a couple hours long. It is basically a uh, side-scrolling kind of Metroid-ish, Metroid-ish um, action game where you are playing as the monster in in a horror movie basically it's like a little um it looks like a kind of um body horror like john carpenter's the thing type creature it's basically this little amorphous blob of tentacles and mouths and uh you can uh crawl around in air vents and all sort of stuff i think the appeal of it is that the movement is really really unique um so you basically even though it's a side scroller in perspective you can if you press up the character just immediately grabs onto the roof and you scurry along the roof like it's incredibly uh freeing in terms of movement um and uh yeah like a true metro game you acquire new powers as you go along um there's multiple different routes and it's just really cool it's really interesting and it's, it's it captures that um, uh, that feeling of playing as the as a horror movie monster really well. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm really really enjoying that. If any if you have, anyone has any uh, and any device that runs Game Pass, that's good. Uh, and then yeah, I started to say Ghost of Tsushima, uh, which is the other big uh, PlayStation uh, release of the year, I would say. And it's really good. I'm uh, about two hours in. I'm just about, I think I'm still kind of like, I'm not technically still in the tutorial, but I'm still in that part of the game where they're still teaching me stuff. Um, uh, and it's, it seems really good. It's absolutely gorgeous. The environment looks amazing. Um, and the combat's really satisfying. It's, you know, I can't, I, I don't play a whole lot of like action games and a whole lot of like sword combat games. Um, I'm kind of glad to have something that's different from Batman combat. Uh, I can't remember the last time I played a game like that. Um, and it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty satisfying. The story is, is starting off okay. I, I've heard mixed things about how, how it goes, but I, I like the uh, the intrigue of it early on. Uh, the premise is basically just that you're trying to rescue your your uncle who's been captured by the Mongols during the Mongolian invasion of Japan, uh, and you're a samurai, and and you know he he he's your mentor. He taught you all about fighting honorably and blah blah blah. And in order to rescue him, you you come across this that thief character who kind of teaches you the the ways of the ninja, effectively the stealthy, sneak up behind people, cut their throats, and. Uh, uh, how your character grapples with that seems like it's going to be a big thing going forward. So yeah, looks and play is great. Uh, we'll see how it uh, how I feel about it in a few weeks because um, I know it's quite large. But uh, yeah, those are the video games there this week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing Ghost of Tsushima when I get a chance. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I was. I'm very impressed with the with the, with the beginning of it. Um, yeah, another another thing I'm playing with the English language, despite the fact they put all the effort into all the Japanese touches and all that. It has. It does have full uh, Japanese voiceover work, and it has that like Kurosawa modes um, and all that other stuff. So it, it's definitely made from a, a place of of uh, samurai film admiration. But that's it's not really my bag anyway. So um, we'll jump in to the film. Who's seen a film this week? Um, I've, I've got a few. I've got a few. I can run you through. So I had a bit of a um, on on Friday when I was sick off work. I had a bit of a uh, a Generation X season um, by by accident, really. So because Michelle had to work, I took the opportunity to 
watch a film that she would never ever want to watch, which was um, Jay and Silent Bob uh, rebooted, um, okay. which is a new Kevin Kevin Smith uh, movie featuring those those characters, Jay and Silent Bob. Um, it's sh- it was shit. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't any good. Um, it's quite sad in a way because I was I was quite a bit of a Kevin Smith fan going back to kind of early 2000s you know I really like Dogma I really like the original kind of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back uh, sort of road trip movie um, and then going back and watching his earlier stuff like Clark, uh, Clarks and Mallrats and Chasing Amy I really liked as well I used to listen to his podcast for a little while until he became insufferable um, then unfortunately I think after after Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back he made a succession of absolutely unbearably bad movies um, Red State um, one with a walrus in it. Um, recent Tusk. one, Tusk. Yeah, I think one called Yoga Yoga Hoses. I think it's called, yeah. which was mm-hmm. absolutely apparently terrible. So it's a shame. And yeah, and Jay and Silent Bob rebooted. It basically redoes Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back. Um, the the film based on those characters is is being rebooted within the kind of within that world, and so they travel across to. California to go to Comic Con to try and stop it or something uh, half baked. Um, it's kind of full of the sort of same, either sort of inside references to previous movies or references to other movies like Star Wars, you know, Jaws, yeah. etc. Um, except those were kind of funny the first time round. Twenty years on, not so funny. Um, Watching him and Jason Mewes act like complete dickheads was very funny when they were 22. Now they're like 48. It's not so funny. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite sad. I mean, I, I watched it all just to, to kind of tick, tick that box. But uh, yeah, that was a shame. Um, it did inspire me, to, though, to go back and watch uh, Mall Rats, which is the only Kevin Smith film that's, that's on Netflix in the mm. UK. Um, so I had seen that before, and so I watched it for the second time. And I thought it was fucking great. <laughs> it was. I liked it a lot more watching it this time than than I did the previous time. I thought that the dialogue's really funny. The characters feel very authentic. It's you know it's two kind of slackers, that kind of stereotypical Gen X slacker character hanging out at the mall, talking shit. That even like the the movie references to Star Wars and stuff feel very kind of natural and feel like conversations like that we would have you know talking now just about movies or whatever you know felt yeah. like not just for the sake of it to reference a movie but because they worked and it had, a, it had a story had a plot it was shot really well as well it felt like an actual movie whereas jay and silent bob uh reboot was like it was just so lazy that there were no like establishing shots it was literally just point and shoot and yeah. do some stuff and then shoot something else there was no like craft or kind of thought put into it which is a real shame because i think you know these earlier movies did have a real kind of style and a, um, something unique about them um so that was a shame but yeah more rats was, was really really good i really enjoyed that um we also watched a 1994 movie called reality bites which is probably the most gen x movie ever made so stars um uh winona Ryder, ethan hawk uh janine garofalo uh, and Ben Stiller, which is the most Gen X cast of all time. And uh, essentially, it's a love triangle between Ben Stiller, Ethan Hawke, and Winona Ryder, who are all kind of 
you know, early 20-something graduates. And Ben Stiller's a bit of a narc. He kind of works for, like, a TV network, and he wears a suit, and he, you know, drives a sports car, and Ethan Hawke's like a fucking slacker poet, you know, won't sell out to the man kind of thing. Uh, and so it, it kind of follows the sort of romantic comedy between between the three of them. It was a bit disappointing in the end because there's a lot of interesting kind of supporting characters that, that have some interesting storylines going on that never get resolved because it just sort of focuses on the, the romance. Um, but, you know, lots of, lots of kind of good actors in it and lots of kind of interesting scenes. Overall, wouldn't wouldn't say it was kind of home run. Like, if you want to... If you want a proper Gen X movie, I'd rather watch more rats. That's like proper slackers, proper movie references, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, thumb, thumbs kind of in the middle for Reality Bites. More rats, definitely thumbs up. Um, so that was that was my kind of Gen X movies. Also went back and rewatched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, which is another movie that I would never ever be able to get Michelle to watch again. Um, I enjoyed it a lot more this time without the kind of expectation of um, of kind of going into that movie thinking like, oh, Tarantino, The Manson Family, Hollywood, The 60s, Brad Pitt, like this is going to be amazing. And then like nothing happens for two and a half hours. Um, enjoyed it a lot more as a kind of hangout movie, just like with some funny scenes and Brad Pitt driving around California looking cool and waving to hippies and stuff. That was that was kind of fun. And Yeah, it's, it's a kind of fun movie, but I think going going in my originally my expectations very different but I, I think in hindsight i probably enjoyed it a lot more than his other recent movies uh particularly the hateful eight so um once upon a time in hollywood gets a slight tick up from me i might have to go and re- re-rate that in the uh in the letterboxd okay yeah so that was that was my movies for the for the week good good week have you seen the um trailer for the new kevin smith film uh, of interest. Uh, no what no it's uh, it's called Kilroy was here, I think. The television host. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like a slasher movie, um, and the villain looks like. Do you know? Is it called a hanging Chad? Do you know the um, the little face people draw in like margins where right the nose and fingers is coming over the margin. You know, <laughs> the, <head. laughs> the villain like looks like that. I don't know if that's what it's inspired by but i know when i saw it i said geez that's an odd character design um yeah it just looks like a b-movie slasher i don't know if it looks anyway interesting except that the demo god chris jericho is in it <gasps> yeah he was in jay and son of Aubrey boot as well playing uh, huh. the grand wizard of the kkk so it was an interesting cameo all right yeah um speaking of the 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 clan uh I watched the movie this week, also featuring the KKK. Uh, the Cohen Brothers, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? With uh, George Clooney, John Turturro, uh, who you'll hear more about later on. And I forget the name of the third guy, but he has uh, an extremely dopey mm. face. Um, It was all right. It was okay. I didn't. I didn't love it. Um, usually with Coen Brothers films, I enjoy how kind of well-written they are. They will usually be very tense um, or very you know, dramatic in the vein of like a No Country for Old Men mm. or 
uh, more serious in like an inside Lewin Davis way, or they'll be more farcical, like a big Lebowski or Hail Caesar or Fargo, those kind of movies. So this was definitely more on the, the farce side. But I enjoyed it mostly because of the kind of slapstick performances of the the three leads. Um, I don't know if it was really that well written or it was it was just kind of dumb. Um, Clooney was very funny, Turturro was very funny, and the other guy was very funny. But it didn't kind of didn't kind of grab me. The music was very good in it as well, but um, to me it would be on kind of the lower end of the the Coen Brothers films which I've seen. Uh, probably on kind of the same level as something like Burn After Reading. Mm. Um, not as good as the 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 big ones. Um. I watched another Coen Brothers movie. I watched because what I'm doing actually is I picked out 23 of the films that I own on Blu-ray or DVD. 23. Yeah, because I wanted to pick one of each letter, um, so I'd have like an A to Z. Right, right, right. But there's there's four numbers which I don't have a film of that letter that I've not seen. And also, I picked one for like numbered films. Hence, why it's twenty three. Right. Uh, so I watched. Well, let me go back to the beginning. Actually, I watched uh, Eight Mile. Was my numbered film? Yeah. Okay. Uh, starring Eminem. Watermelons. Uh, also starring. Sit down for this one. Two actors. This must have been like very early roles for them. Also starring Anthony Mackie from The Avengers and yeah, all that. Yeah. Also starring one of my favorite actors, old Michael Shannon. Oh. <laughs> They're oh, both wow. in Mile. I had no idea he was in that. Yeah. It's one of his like first roles, I believe. Of any significance anyway. Like it's a proper speaking role. He plays a character who is like the same age as Eminem, but he's like the live-in boyfriend of Eminem's mother in it, oh, Kim Basinger. Okay. He's very good in it. He It's funny because he looks so young, but he still has that old Michael Shannon voice, which is his voice. Um, but he got that gruff Michael Shannon voice. Um, 8 Mile, it's alright. I thought it was a little bit run-of-the-mill, except for it's got a great soundtrack and the the rap battle scenes are fun but the the more dramatic scenes are a little bit flat it's it's all right it's okay um kind of like a six out of ten six out of ten or five out of ten somewhere in that range it was okay um i watched then for my a film adaptation go on have you have either of you guys seen adaptation no i have yes Okay, well, you need to, Barry. <laughs> you need to watch it. I would like it, would I? Um, probably the best written film I've ever seen in terms of just, like, the screenplay. Uh, it's it's a Charlie Kaufman film. So he he made, um, or he wrote, I should say. He didn't direct, but he, he wrote um, Being John Malkovich, which was directed by Spike Jones, who also directs Adaptation, and who would go on to make her... Um, Charlie Kaufman, who also wrote, uh, or at least co-wrote uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, 
uh, a film that he also directed, which I loved, called Anomalisa, which came out a few years ago. Uh, to me, he's one of like the great screenwriters. His films are always so inventive, so clever. Um, so, in a in a sense, adaptation is kind of it's it's many things. It's a very hard film to describe. It is simultaneously an adaptation of a real life book. Okay, it's a completely fictionalized kind of autobiographical film about Kaufman himself. Mm-hmm. It's a simultaneously a kind of prequel slash sequel to being John Malkovich. Um, it, it's so layered. It's, it's like four different things at once. And yet it works so well. It's a very, very strange film as Kaufman's films are. I would definitely recommend watching being John Malkovich first. If you haven't seen that, I haven't. Um, definitely, definitely worth a watch. Okay. Um, they, they're a great double feature, actually, to watch because they're not they're not particularly long either. But um, being John Malkovich and then adaptation. Um, so yeah, adaptation to 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 do quickly what the plot of it is to kind of lure people in because I find unlike a lot of films where I you know will say go in blind, don't know anything about it. I think you'll get more out of adaptation if you do kind of know kind of what it's about going into it, so you get. Mm. what's happening instead of being like monumentally confused uh it's it's about charlie kaufman himself played by nicholas cage right and his twin brother who does not really exist but in the okay. film does, okay called, uh, called donald kaufman um and charlie has been tasked to write a script for this book uh which is about um orchids right it's about orchid hunters basically people who who look for these rare orchids which is a real life book um (laughs) which i don't know why he chose to write this fictionalized film about it but um he's tasked to to write a screenplay about this coming off the heels of him writing being john malkovich which he really did (laughs) and uh he has like writer's block and he's really struggling because it's kind of one of those books that is very difficult to put into a film because it's more it's like a, a book based off New Yorker articles that can be very kind of ponderous and meandering. Mm. So he has like writer's block about it. And simultaneously, his brother, who's trying to get into writing uh, or trying to get into screenwriting, he's kind of more like uh, the satisfied fool, whereas Kaufman is the the perennially dissatisfied genius. And so I won't say anything more from there, but um, it's an incredibly... It's almost like... Uh, uh, whereas Inception, right, is is this big blown out sci fi epic, adaptation feels like Inception applied to a very very small story, and it's it's just so clever and so good, as you have all of these various different strands that are kind of woven together. Eventually, it's just it's incredibly good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicholas Cage is great in it as well. It also stars. Uh, Chris Cooper, who won an Oscar for it, and Meryl Streep. Great cast. Incredibly good screenplay. Um, Kaufman is, in my mind, a genius. Definitely also, like, watch Being John Malkovich first, which is an easier film to understand, but is no less mad. 
Um, and then if you enjoy those, I would also watch Anomalisa, which I really enjoyed. Okay. Um, so I went to full 10. Binge. Went to full, full 10 on adaptation. Woo! Uh, I'd love to hear people's opinions on it. Uh, I, I assume, Joe, you enjoyed it. Um, yes, no, I did enjoy it. Um, I wouldn't say I loved it, to be honest. Right. I think okay. it was a bit inside its own head. You know, like you know. Uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> well, I actually, because I watched it. I mean, back... I can tell that from the description Paul gave me alone. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I because I watched it back when I was studying script writing, and obviously, yeah. you know, Charlie Kaufman. It was you know one of the most kind of well-known, prominent script writers at that time, still is. And so, I think that was a real kind of example of like taking the craft of script writing and being very deconstructive and, and being very clever yeah. with it. So, it's, yeah, I think it's still a good film. I might rewatch it at some point. I might have a different... But it's also very self-referential in that aspect because there's bits where the... the I hesitate to say the dumb brother, but, you know, for the purpose of this, we say the dumb brother is going to, like, this screenwriting class and um, Kaufman is very against that because he feels like script writing should be an organic... Yeah. thing right um but because of his writer's block he eventually agrees to go and in the film he's kind of having as he's sitting there he's having this existential existential crisis where he's like i'm not good enough da, 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 da. and you as the viewer are hearing his his thoughts obviously through voiceover as in the class the guy is saying never use voiceover in your films it's lazy it's <laughs> so um yeah, I just I thought that was very very clever, um, but then I I also loved being John Malkovich and I also loved Anomalies, so I was going in with a bit of a bias where I expected to love it. Um, similarly, Eight Mile, a little bit of a film about a dissatisfied writer, so that's a bit of a trend there. Ooh, there you go. There you go. Uh, my, my third film was then uh, Barton Fink for B, a film about a dissatisfied writer. You're not a bit of a trend here. Barton Fink. Uh, Barton Fink. Um, have you seen Joe? Oh uh, no, no, I never seen. No, I see. About uh, thing, another Coen Brothers film, uh, John Turturro and John Goodman, who was also in uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou. John Goodman, great in everything. Um, Barton Fink, a story about a screenwriter who works in kind of theater in New York, who decides to up sticks and move to Los Angeles to you know try and make. Uh, it in the the pictures business, and he gets tasked with writing this uh, wrestler film because um, it's set in like nineteen forties. I think he gets tasked with writing this wrestling film, uh, and he gets writer's block because he, as a as a theater writer, he kind of wants to kind of overcomplicate it and and make it like, what's the angle here? Am I is going to be about the the wrestler? He's poor. He's this. He's that. Whereas the the production company just hey just make the dumb wrestler movie make them wrestle make their love interest da 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 and um, he's working in this hotel and he meets uh, living in the hotel next to him John Goodman and they spark up a little bit of a friendship and the film seems to kind of lose steam a little bit and then around halfway through there's an event that like turns the dial from like four to ten where it remains for the rest of the film. And, uh, yeah, it really picked up. I thought it was really, really great. Um, it gets a bit 
um, surreal. You're, you're wondering what exactly is literal, what exactly is a metaphor in, in terms of what you're seeing. And I quite like that. That's something that I've kind of gotten into recently is watching films and even films that are very literal. I try and kind of put my own interpretation on it. And I was listening to a podcast recently with Mark Kermode and he was arguing on his podcast, not, not with Simon Mayo, but one he does on his own with another man called Jack Howard. And they were talking about the end of Dark Knight Rises where, you know, Alfred and Bruce give each other the nod and he looks down and looks back up and he's gone. Mm. And one, uh, Kermode was saying that his interpretation of it was, um, you know, that Batman died and that it was kind of more what Alfred wanted to see more than what he was seeing. And the other guy was saying, no, no, the film is very literally saying Alfred sees him. He, he puts his wallet away because he knows Bruce has got it. And, I, you know, I think that even the most literal film, you can have your own interpretation of it. That's the great thing about films, right? Um, I would never say to someone, like, regardless of what you see in the film or regardless of what the intentions of the director w- were, what you see and what you believe is is to you what happened. Like, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. Um, so this is a film, like I say, that has a very, I guess, literal read, but also you can interpret it in many different ways. There's some very funny scenes in it as well, in, in typical Coen Brothers fashion. Um, so yeah, Barton Fink, I thought, was great. So in, in summary, 8 Mile, eh, Adaptation, two thumbs up. Barton Fink, I'll say one and three quarter thumbs up. And um, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, it was okay. Uh, And then I watched a new film. I watched a 2020 release. I watched Birds of Prey, The Fantabulous Journey of Harley Quinn, or whatever it's called. Eventually it was just called Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. Um... Yeah, <laughs> I didn't really think much of it. Um, it's a very, very clunky film in terms of the dialogue, but also in terms of the structure of the film. There's one scene early on where Harley Quinn gets like trapped in an alley between two sets of like the main villains' thugs, right? And she takes her little white handkerchief out. Hey, you got me. Da, da, da. Cuts to a different scene. Uh, and then cuts to a scene in the police office, and suddenly Harley Quinn is bursting in with like this shotgun. Yeah. Shoot. I'm like, wait a minute. Was there a scene missing? What happened there? Yeah. Then, like 20 minutes later, she goes, Let me explain what happened 20 minutes ago. I'm like, No, this isn't good film structure. You can't confuse me for 20 minutes and then explain what happened. Um, I, as a viewer, need to understand what's happening. And it wasn't like a big reveal or something. They just did it for no reason. I did I did not understand at all why that was in it. Um, there's one scene at the end. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the various women eventually fight on the same side and become, in a sense, the, the, the birds of prey. Truly, we were the birds of prey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that like happens in the film. I'm like, they, 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 they get um, trapped in this, like... Uh, carnival like house of horrors yeah and the villains outside and i'm like don't say we're gonna have to work together girls and then they literally literally (laughs) it's this kind of film where they need to say it um 
can I say as well, this isn't necessarily a criticism of this one film, but in modern fight scenes and fight choreography in general, I am so sick of the old tilt-a-whirl arm drag. Can we stop tilt-a-whirl arm drags in these films? Yeah, let, let's get some let's get some poison ranas in here, okay? I mean, you are right though. It's in every film now. It is in every like action blockbuster that that can do it. <laughs> I see, like three times, four times in this one film. Like, oh, there's the old arm drag again. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I liked Margot Robbie in it. I thought she, in fact, I thought the majority of the women in it were, were like good to great. I really liked the actress who played uh, Black Canary. I thought she was very good. Yeah. Kid, I didn't really think was that good. I liked the lady who played the the cop. See, I, I actually, was I wasn't thinking of the cop. I, mean, I thought the kid was okay. I thought the cop was kind of. Yeah. I, I liked, no, no, I liked the cop. I thought her accent was a bit. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm New York, New Jersey cop over here. But I thought it before. Get out of the way. I'm the birds of freaking prey, all right? <laughs> um, whereas I thought Ewan McGregor was a little one note. I, I did not like him at all in that film. It was weird because with him and uh, Zaz, what's Zaz first? I don't remember Zaz. Victor? Victor Zaz, yeah. Was it just me, or was that written like a like a gay relationship without it ever being explicitly I, said? Like they they were both written kind of gay. I did not get that at all. But fair enough. That's you know that's your interpretation. That's fine. The one thing with um, uh, and again that kind of comes back to my my hang up about the villains having a quirk. But anyway, um, an unnecessary quirk. Um. There's one scene with Ewan McGregor's character whose name, like all great movie, uh, comic movie villains, whose name I've already forgotten. Yeah. Uh, Black Mask. Was that the That was the, the gimmick name, yeah. Yeah. They never... And, uh, by the way, the end where he just suddenly puts the mask on, I, my eyes couldn't have rolled any further. Um, that thing where the villain who in the comics wears a mask in the movie doesn't wear the mask for the majority of the film, but then at the end's like, oh, I'll put the mask on now. What? Um, there was one scene that I thought was really, really effective, but it came too late in the film for me to then buy into McGregor. Is the scene in the club where he like humiliates the woman? Yeah. I was like, okay, I now can buy that he's like this sociopath, but too much of the film has already passed by that stage. Um, early on, they're like cutting people's faces off, but he's not the one doing it. He's just standing there, and so. I never fully buy into him as like a, a a menacing villain. He's just like a a camp, you know, villain in name only. He never does anything truly villainous until what an hour into an hour forty movie. Yeah. So for me, I'm afraid uh, it wasn't it wasn't great. I, like I say, Margot Robbie's good in it. Um. It's quite a good-looking movie, I must say. Um, there's some scenes that are really used, like, colour very well in what, else, what otherwise like a quite a dark, grimy movie. Mm. Uh, like, the, like, there's an explosion early on at the, like, chemicals factory. That looks great, especially because it's CGI, but it looks really good. And then when she's using her, like, colour blast shotgun, looks great as well. 
But in t- I think I think my hang was my hang was mostly with like the script. I thought it was a bit clunky. I I rewatched it recently, and I, I I liked it more than you did. I actually thought it was it was really quite enjoyable. But I had that basically that same those same grievances, and on a rewatch like that stuff isn't better. The pacing and the and the the, the segmenting of the story. Um, if anything, it's kind of worse. I found my, I found myself. I'm like I'm watching this film for the second time, and I'm still asking the questions. Wait, where? Oh yeah, that thing happened. Oh okay. Oh that okay. Also the um um uh here's here's a very specific thing that's not technically a continuity error. It's just the film is edited in such a way as it's uh, needlessly confusing. There's a scene where Black Canary interviews the the Chinese food shop owner. Um, looking for information, right? Right. And then about a half hour later, uh, uh, the Chinese restaurant is Harley Quinn's uh, hideout also. So about a, ha- about a half hour later, uh, the, her hideout blows up and she, she talks to the owner who the, he, he reveals that he begrudgingly sold her out. Those film, those scenes are close enough together and the, and, and the first one is ambiguous enough that I was like, wait, Black Canary came looking for Harley Quinn, did she? And then she blew up his restaurant with the information he gave her. And then it was like, no, she came to him for other information to, fi- to find Black Mask. And then and, and then an unidentified third party also came to him looking for Harley Quinn. And it, I, I was completely confused by who did he sell her out to? Who blew up the house? I, I was like, and it wasn't technically a continuity error. It was just that the film was structured in such a way as it was not clear. Um, yeah, it's, it, I, I feel like I could do with like, uh, what's, what's the, what's, what's it? not a director's cut. I just want a continuity editor to just reorder this film and re-release it. It's, it's a lot of you want an editor? I think that's yeah, I, I wanted to have an editor. Basically, um, I still I still enjoyed it quite a lot, but it's like it has it has some DNA of the old DC train wrecks in there. I think. Yeah. So that's all I watched. That's all we watched. You got an email, Paul? I do. Let me get it out. Right, email. Uh, here we go. 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 Email subject Broadway on film, and this is from Michelle. Oh. So I'm going to read Natty's next to me. So I'm going to read out the email while she's here. Hype because it's about Hamilton, which is yeah. <laughs> All I've heard about since we watched Hamilton that was a Alexander Hamilton. No, you be shush. That's copyright. Yeah, that's, I'm going to have to edit that out now. People are, Disney are going to be on my ass. <laughs> Hi, Paul. I'm so glad you and Natty enjoyed Hamilton. We did, in case you forgot. I went the full 10 on it on Letterboxd. Uh, I was intrigued by hearing how you were torn about calling it a film or something else. Uh, to me, the version of Hamilton on Disney Plus is a recording of a performance, not a film. In the same way, the Tom Hooper versions of Les Mis and Cats are films. The main difference... Is that the versions of Les Mis and Cats I mentioned are filmed in completely different ways, have many sets, and take months to film. Whereas Hamilton was shot over two performances to get all the coverage. Lin Manuel's first musical, In the Heights, was due to come out this summer, but it was converted from the stage to film. But it took time to make the changes. Uh, I just want to point out that I, I'm in a grill to Michelle here. I think more my point or my confusion, not so much about how it's made, but how I 
should perceive because to me even between watching hamilton on disney plus versus seeing something like yeah. phantom of the opera or les miserables which we've seen in person to me that's a different experience even. it's still a play i understand it's still a play yeah. yeah i don't think it's a film paul when you watch wrestling on tv do you go <laughs> this is a film or do you think true okay we will move on from that point anyway but i also don't rate the wrestling I watch on letterbox.com. I don't know even if I'm arguing with myself at this point. I forget it. It's really good. It's on Disney Plus. Okay. Uh, Michelle agrees that more performance should should be filmed for both posterity's sake, because the original cast is very important. Hmm. But also, as you mentioned, because the majority of people don't have access to see every play or every musical that comes yeah, out. It's impossible to see Hamilton live nowadays. Yeah. Why did you pronounce it like that? Hamilton? Yeah. Hamilton? Say Hamilton. Hamilton. Uh, mm. <laughs> My Brazilian showing. Hamilton Keynes. Um, <laughs> at least with musicals, you get the cast recordings. That's true. They'll often be on Spotify. And you can picture the performances in your head, like reading the book. Yeah, I've, I've actually listened to the, the, the recordings of the music three times since watching the music, uh, since watching the musical. And it's been an experience. Yeah, which means that I've also heard it about three times. <laughs> yes. That's not true, but sure. Uh, you want to be in the room where it happened. Um, but with drama, there's nothing. With dramatic plays, you don't get a recording. That's true. Anyway, theater, all caps. Yeah, I mean, are there any other examples where I've watched a, a play? No. play or a musical like recorded like Hamilton was? No. Uh, I'm trying to think if I have. Mm. I don't think so. Be. No, I don't think I have. But I'm definitely a fan of these things. Like I, I really enjoyed Hamilton, and and as Michelle said, as Natty said, it's very difficult to see Hamilton live. So I'm, I was very happy to get, it, you know, get the opportunity to see it. Mm. Um, I would love the same to happen for those. Uh, very popular or very famous releases like Book of Mormon, mm. um, Phantom of the Opera, the like, you know. That being said, there's something to say about the availability of these shows, Hamilton, etc., on streaming services. Would that, the old 3 p.m. Saturday kickoff with the Premier League, would that take people out of the theaters? Yeah, I think so. Which is which is the other side of the coin, right? Yeah, and I think um, I think this the specialness of it is being there. It's, it's like wrestling or any other kind. Yeah, of I mean that's the, that's what I was saying in the first place. Like to me, the viewing Hamilton on Disney Plus is is a different experience than I had watching Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, in the theater mm. in London, you know, or the Lion King, because you're watching the Lion King, and you have the animals coming down the aisles beside you up to the stage during that circle of life scene, right? And you turn around, you're seeing, oh my god, they're the elephants, and you're seeing the the the, the costumes in person, you know? Um, to me, it's it's just different than watching it on, on a flat screen. It's just that, that that element of being there makes it tangible, makes it a different thing. All I'm gonna say is that I feel theater and Hamilton are experiences that you are never really going to get 
you're never you're never going to improve. Hamilton has been like a transcendent experience for me, and I I mean that's kind of like something big coming from me. But all I'm gonna say is I know for a fact as someone who appreciates theater that every work that comes into fruition from now on is going to be heavily influenced by Hamilton. Yeah, I I, I think so. I I think that in Ireland we should get streaming service that has all the plays on it. I would love that. We can't go nowhere to see these plays. They don't have Wicked over here. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to see Wicked. Yeah. We we get um the Potato Man and Angela's Ashes again. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Although what what did we what we saw Les Mis in Dublin, and we also saw. Twelve Angry Men in them, yeah, which was good. Not not a musical per se. Anyway, thanks very much for the email, Michelle. Hamilton is very good. Uh, I but now that. thanks to Hamilton. Every time I say we we put a film on, yeah, Hamilton. No, we watched Hamilton already, and it's two hours forty five. Is it really? Oh, Sorry, go ahead, Barry. It's, it's it's a musical. They're long. What are you going to say, Barry? Uh, I have an email from Michelle as well, our top emailer. Uh, She says, congrats on the move. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, I always think that the most grown-up thing to do when you move is to hire people to move your stuff and set it up at your new place, uh, not having to stress about it. Thoughts? Uh, Next time we move, 100% we're going to do that. That was a topic of conversation. Um, The last two days have been like the most energy draining days i think of my adult life lots of uh, pulling and draining things downstairs into a car driving into a new place and then upstairs and after each journey calculating how many times have we got to do this um remaining in the day really really stuff just the two of us um and i definitely think even though it's quite costly i think the next time there's a big move we will absolutely be paying people to do it for us um, yeah, so Michelle goes on here. I think of it as a, uh, I think of it as grown up because it's an extra cost that you can absolutely do it yourself. I 100% agree, and I think it's definitely something uh, I wouldn't have been able to do at say college age. But now that I am adulting, as the well, the kids don't say that, but um, as some people say, I will definitely be doing that again in the future. Um, thanks as always for your email, Michelle. Greatly appreciated. Yeah. How many times have we moved? We've never. We've always moved our own stuff ourselves. Yeah. Uh, how many times have we moved since we were we at my parents before we got the apartment? Uh, no. No. Okay. So you were one, living here, and I was living at my parents, but we would stay at each other's. Okay. Lot. So one, two, three. We moved four times, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, it's hell moving stuff. Absolutely. Uh, will we segue into some wrestling chit chat? We never did our C- CSP Simpsons segment, by the way. Uh, we could, we could, we could ignore that we do the guest the Simpsons back next episode week. segment. We don't want to wear, we, you know, we've got to cycle them in, cycle them out. Uh, is it Bart of Darkness? <laughs> uh, yes. Well done, Paul. One point to you. Woo-hoo. Okay, wrestling. Wrestling. wrestling, okay. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't watch any wrestling this week. Uh, how was Dynamite? Ew, how was Dynamite? I enjoyed Dynamite this week. It was good. It was good. 
Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what happened. <laughs> what happened? Uh, Matt Cardona, the, the size of Ryback turned up. Fucking, <laughs> oh, like, yeah, I did see that, yeah. More like back rider, Ryback or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. It is an anagram. It's a work, workshop, that one. Um, yeah, it was a bit of an under, understated debut. Like, it was, it, you know, he looked great. He beat the guys up. It was kind of, I think he might have a bit, bit of a bigger... Bigger intro. Yeah, they didn't have like his music hit and he come running out. He just kind of walked out in the background. Yeah, and you just beat up a couple of jabronis. Yeah, Yeah, it was was fine. Yeah, any any (laughs) debut in the no crowd era is always going to be weird. That's the problem, isn't it? I think the the issue as well is I I like the changes. Like he he has um, strong island as his little thing because. Long Island, but he's muscly. But he's still doing the little L.I. thing with his hands. Fucking leave that shit in the past. That's got the stink of you are a geek on it. <laughs> Be a new man. Don't come out doing the woo-woo-woo shit and all that garbage. This could be a fresh start for him to come to be taken seriously, you know? Yeah. Um, I would leave the, the Long Island Ice Z with the internet title, all that. Leave that at home. He still has the internet title as well. He got a new one! Yeah. He got a new Matt Cardona one with a skull on it. Stone Cold Matt Cardona. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was was a good little debut. It was fine, yeah. It it came after Um, the the Cody Rhodes Warhorse match, which was a new very good Warhorse uh, go back to the fucking Indies. I have to I have to concur. I, I just completely zoned out during that match. I I was staring at the wall for two minutes. I was like, oh Jesus, there's wrestling. Yeah, right? whatever he has on the indies, it did not translate to to this platform. Sorry. Yeah. Fair enough. Reinvent yourself. Um speaking of the Cody, they signed Eddie Kingston. Oh yes. Hell yeah. Good, eh? Now that's now there there's a there's a good decision. Yeah. He would be a great heel for Moxley. To fight, I think. Just see them having a great promo battle. Yeah. Hopefully, he gets that shot. Mm. Yeah, what else? They had the big 10 man tag to open the show. Best friends and friends defeated the inner circle. Nice. Uh, Luchasaurus mask half fell off during the match, which is like uh, he was trying to stick it back on, like. Uh, Kane when it came off that one time. Yeah. Um, Guevara got the got pinned, still paying a bit of uh, his penance there. Ah, well, he, uh, he always just get pinned, didn't he? Like he's been, that's kind of his thing. Yeah. Matt Hardy come out and they're they're still going with that match. Oh no. Well that's his punishment. <laughs> <laughs> um what else? John Moxley cut another a better promo. It wasn't quite as rambly as his promos can be. Um, it helped that they didn't put him next to like Paz doing a promo or someone good. Um, what else? Cody won. They announced the next pay per view all out on September 5th. Uh, what else? They did a thing with FTR signing their contracts, which is weird given that they've been with the company now for a while. 
the the, was, the story, the the kids fizz, I think, was that they were coming in on a per appearance thing and they weren't signed. Uh, I'm not sure which of that is reality and which of that is what the story was, but that was that was the word. I do like that AW are doing these kind of segments though, because they're not things we've seen ten thousand times already. Yeah, you know? yeah because yeah. wrestling is cyclical in that way so at least aw with the, with the press conferences and the contract signings in this way it's something new that we've not we've not seen before yeah which makes the show feel fresh agreed um omega and page beat the uh the dark order yeah mm. um, uh there was a little run in with ftr making the save Women's match. Yeah, women's match was all right. And we had Girl Bai showing up. Oh! Oh, I yeah. Believe. I didn't know who that was until I saw on Twitter afterwards. I was like, oh, who's this? I didn't... My favorite match is Diamante against Sheeta. <laughs> they should have her say that. Oh, my God. That, they, they should absolutely have her say that. Um, that'd be a good little character. That'd be just a complete retread of her tough enough. For yeah, that, that um, would kind of be like the um, the Eva Marie character before she left. The like intentionally, like I know nothing and I'm bad. And just have who would you have as the Steve Austin character? <laughs> Tony Khan, Ta- Eddie Kingston, Taz, <laughs> <laughs> Tony, Tony Khan. <laughs> yeah, and then he goes on for forty five minutes talking about all the better matches. Talking about Inoki in the 80s. Tony Khan's um, like, ah, well, I shit myself once a little. <laughs> <laughs> um, MJF's promo I thought was great. Uh, yeah, delivery great, content okay for me. I didn't enjoy that much. I really like that they're setting him up as a challenger while Moxley is still in a feud with other people. Yeah. Because again, it makes the show feel organic and like it has multiple threads happening at once that will eventually pay off, you know? Yeah, and that, that fact that everyone is gunning for the title as well. Which yeah. You don't really, you don't often get in the modern wrestling. No. I thought it was very, very good. Although it was like an MJF 2020, it was like a presidential thing, and they're also doing that with like Jericho and Orange Cassidy next week. I was like, all right, that's a bit too much, lads. It's very, it, it's a bit raw, isn't it? Doing all the presidential stuff, a little bit. I mean, just if they just did this, fine, and and have MJF have that little quirk to his character for a while, but then Jericho and Cassidy are doing it as well, and too much. Um, and then we had the main event, Moxley and Allen. Uh, Darby Allen, that is not uh, AJ Styles, defeated <laughs> Brian Cage and Ricky Starks when uh, uh, Darby Allen used a thumbtack covered skateboard Murdered and him. jumped on his back. Oh lordy, murdered the poor bastard real bad, yeah, because he like scraped across him, he didn't just like land on him and stick it in. Yeah, well, it's a skateboard, I think that's the point. Oh, it was nasty. Yeah, that was nasty. And then they announced that match is quite- uh, they announced that Mox versus. Um, for next week, uh, kind of out of nowhere. They do that a little bit too much, don't they? Yeah, I don't know. I don't like that. I don't know why they're doing that. Where, where, uh, you know, Darby got the pin, and then he kind of him and Moxie had little a little stare down to tease 
little something there. Oh, folks, I'm just I'm just here next week. They're having a title match. Uh, see you then. Like I, I I also get the getting people back next week to yeah. watch the show. Well, but you could do that without having the title on the line, you know. Um, that's true. Because like Darby's like just back. Is he kayfabe? No, was it medical or he had a kayfabe injury from Brian Cage or something? It's like he's been out for weeks. You know, he comes back and he's immediately getting title shots. Like, yeah, I, I could do it at that. It was a good show, though. Good show. And what else was there in the news? We had the WWE earnings call, where we found out that the firings that they did, that we all knew were completely unnecessary, were like like mustache twirlingly unnecessary, as they're even richer in the last uh, quarter than they were expecting. Um, it seems as though the 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 money they're saving by not having to like pay to go to shows and set up arenas and all that other stuff more than makes up for the money they make selling tickets, which is kind of hilarious. Um, so they're, they are actually saving a, a bomb of money um, in the current climate. So there you go. Congratulations, Vince McMahon. <laughs> you rich bastard. Finally, uh, finally a nice guy gets a win. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. The, um, they're saving all that money. I do, again, looking at also the ratings news, um, lowest ever raw ratings in, in the history of the program. Yeah. Um, kind of makes you wonder. Obviously, great in the short term, saving all this money and, and the big profits, but given that they've always been driven by uh, star power and production values, and currently they have neither. Yeah. Uh, and they are being filmed in a, in a warehouse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder what will happen in the next six months, twelve months. But as long as they've got the TV money, I guess they're fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's that. Um, elsewhere in the business aspect of of wrestling, the AEW figures are out now. The the toys, if you are a child. Um, or Zack Ryder. Or, or, or Zack Ryder, yeah, yeah, that's possible. Uh, anything else wrestling-related? I didn't watch that talk and shop mania thing. I don't have any. I'm not watching much wrestling at the moment. I'm certainly not going to watch whatever that was. It was very funny. I watched it. Was it really? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was good. It was, um, it was a little bit on the expensive side for, an, get this, an hour and a half long pay-per-view. What? How, how much is it? Sixteen Europeans and ninety-nine cents. Yeah, that's a bit much. A little bit much. I think it's fifteen dollars in the US, so I don't get why it was more over here, but VAT probably or something. Um, well, I I listen to their podcast. I I, I find their shtick. I used to listen to it back back in the day when they were originally doing it. I, I think they're I think they're funny guys. Um, some funny moments in it. There would be like matches that would not end they would just cut to another segment and then they come back an hour later and that first match would still be on in the background and stuff like that or there was a, a bit where uh, a dwarf was swinging a weapon at another wrestler and it like there was an edit to another weapon oh my god he just teleported that weapon into another one um there was obviously a lot of like cameos and comedy based around that and based around the the podcast um the main event was Chad Too Bad, Carol Anderson, 
against Sex Ferguson, Luke Gallows, in a boner yard match. I'm, I'm trying to imagine if that would be, be if like it'd be better or worse if that was a wrestling match or a cinematic match. Like I honestly don't know which I'd rather watch less. Uh, well, let me say the, it was almost like the entire pay, like it wasn't so much a cinematic match as the entire pay per view was a cinematic pay per view. Right, right. Does that makes sense. Yeah. It, like the whole thing was like a movie. It wasn't necessarily match by match. Um, there would be like meta jokes about the editing of the show. Um, it was it was very funny. Um, okay. The Boner Yard match, interestingly, and spoil a bit of it here. If you want to check it out, they can. If if they if people weren't going to watch it, they were going to watch yeah, it. Yeah, true. But there was a a um, a very meta dream sequence in the middle of the match. Uh, featuring a contract negotiation set in September 2019 with Anderson Gallows and the Young Bucks from AEW, um, who made who made an appearance in a 10 minute cameo where they talk about very funnily because it's obviously was probably recorded a month ago about come to AEW, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll gig for your brothers and all this. Yeah, that was from Being Elite, I think. As well. Oh, really? That whole segment? I watched that. All right, fair enough. Well, it was very, very funny. It was very good. <laughs> All right, there you go. I think I think the whole pay-per-view was basically on Twitter at this stage as well. Um, I thought it was funny. It was obviously very silly and very juvenile. Um, but it, it was fun. It was fun for a, a wacky wrestling pay-per-view. And it wasn't particularly long either, which made it an easy watch. It was uh, right about as long as this episode, actually. <laughs> I like how that's a selling point for pay-per-views these days is they can keep it short and sweet. <laughs> well, I mean, when six-hour WWE shows are the norm. Yeah. yeah. Nice to get in and out and get your, your job done, you know? Indeed, and to that end, perhaps... Oh, please. also, sorry, the, in the Boner Yard match, there was um, AJ Styles' arm sticking out of the uh, <laughs> the grave. And they're, oh, Uncle Alan, <laughs> you're still under there? That, that's funny. Anyway, to that end, we will uh, uh, call it a day here on the Chair Shop Podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, I'd imagine, more AEW talk, another Last of Us check-in, you know, more movies and, and the usual fun and games. So do uh, come back. In the meantime, it can be Chair Shop Pod on Twitter, ChairShopPodcast.com, and all the other uh, usual uh, spots. And, uh, yeah, uh, ChairShopPodcast.com is also where you can email us, by the way. If, like, Michelle, you want to pop us in some questions or some feedback or some topics for us to debate and uh, yeah, we'll be back next week. We'll also have our Simpsons features back next week. You know, we skipped them this week. Give you a nice breezy show. So yeah, uh, thanks for listening as always, folks. It's uh, going to be goodbye from me, Barry Murphy. It's going to be goodbye from Joe Towner. Goodbye. It's going to be goodbye from Mr. Paul Griffin. Goodbye. <laughs>